Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sroden here as always with Glenn Esterson. And today we are graced with the presence of Ian Tudor and Ryan Neris. And they have a company called Archimedia Group. Archimedes Group. Did I say that right, guys? You nailed it. Finally. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Archimedes Group before we jump into everything. Sure. So we are owners and operators. We have been a part of now 10 transactions and roughly 1,200 pads, a little over 1,200 pads. And basically what we do is we are heavy value add guys. We uh, do not outsource any of our maintenance, uh, our management. We are all in-house. We taught ourselves Spanish. We speak our broken Spanish. We go to the properties. We sleep on the properties if we have to. We have wonderful blow-up mattresses that work. And we <laughs> pride ourselves in being different. We are young. I'm, as of this recording, I'm, I'm 32 years old. Ian's got all the answers about what to do in your 20s, despite still being in his 20s. And we have fun roasting each other. We have fun doing business and we started with nothing, no money, no experience, no network, and flash forward four years and change, and we are excited to be where we are, and we're excited to help people out in any way, shape, or form that we can. That's incredible, because I, I don't know if you guys know this, but so this, this podcast is all about my journey to learn and possibly jump into the space. So I got to ask right off the bat, how did you get into it? What, what started it? And how'd you do it with no yeah, money? So I was, <laughs> Tell me that part. It, yeah, there's um, so that's a multi-pronged question. I guess we'll start with first just how we got into the business. And I came from the commercial real estate world, uh, just kind of uh, I worked for a publicly traded REIT at the time and was on their investments team. And throughout that whole process, I always wanted to do some investments on my own uh, just because real estate is quite an entrepreneurial business. If, if you want to take it that route, they, there's no real education there's no real requirement to get started, which is a beautiful thing. And people, you know, have PhDs and there's people who, you know, just got out of jail and they both can make real estate work. So uh, that's one of the things I really like with real estate is like, if you really put your mind to it, you can make it happen. So while I was working this job in Orlando, I was looking at ways of like flipping houses. I owned a single family home, I guess, right out of college and found out that cash flow gets eaten up pretty quick when you have a AC repair and a few others. Uh, so I looked to scale up. Um, and, but before that I was looking at a mobile home because it was lower on the capital because I was just going to own one mobile home and then like rent to own it to something kind of, they call it a Lonnie deal. Uh, started there and the roommate at the time said, why don't you just buy the whole park? And so that kind of opened my mind to it, bought some informational stuff. And then when Ryan and I reconnected in 2015, we decided to run uh, with that business. And it was July of 2015 that Ryan pitched that we were in, we'd go into business. Um, and then we kind of were off to the races ever since. Um, and so that, that was kind of how we, we got started. It was just stumbling through discovery of wanting to invest in real estate, not really know the entry point. And there's a lot of beautiful benefits of mobile home parks, the fragmentation, the lower amount of capital needed uh, that allows kind of new entrants to scale a little bit quicker than they would in office or apartments where it's a little bit more competitive. That's awesome. So before we get into our topic, which today is going to be converting park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes, I, j I just got to ask, biggest failure and biggest success since you've been in the business? 
So naturally, like I mentioned earlier, we like roasting each other. So I'll go with our biggest failure was a due diligence mistake that Ian totally made. <laughs> Actually, we we both we both we both made the mistake. I I just I'm just saying that because it's funny. But we didn't check the water bills on our second park ever. And I did a whole podcast episode about it called Due Diligence Nightmare, where thankfully we entered at a low enough basis where it didn't ruin us, but we had about $20,000 a year going to the ground in a leak that was impossible to find. And and I put together a list of every single plumber in Asheville and I called every single one and no one wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole except for one person that thank God he was out there. But that was definitely our biggest mistake but thankfully we live to see another day and just anyone listening in who hasn't gotten started in the business yet please do not wait for the perfect opportunity mistakes are going to happen and as long as you can live to see another day man a a single or a walk is much better than than not even going up to bat and ian if you want to take the the next part of the question that'd be awesome yeah i think our biggest success was um I mean, there's, there's, we could cut this a lot of different ways. I think it's kind of hard to categorize, but one that I think Ryan and I look back finally was La Costa Mobile Home Park. So I jumped off full time, which I don't recommend to a lot of people when we had one park that we, that we owned with another operator in 2016. And I lived in Ryan's childhood bedroom at his, at his family's home and just try to find a way to, to make it work and we came across an opportunity which was a 530 lot park in south atlanta and it was through a cold call and through that it allowed ryan and i to um, go both go full-time so ryan was able to quit his corporate job and we lived on the property for 14 months um, in a double wide on a blow-up mattress learning the front lines of that mobile home park. And so we, we got to see all aspects of the business from exploring sewer pipes to bringing in RVs to setting new homes from selling park owned homes to tenant owned homes to dealing with, you know, drug addicts to replacing water lines. There's so many things that we learned in such a short period of time that it really kickstarted our mobile home park career. And I don't think without that experience, we'd probably be the same people are today. Um, And that was something that, you know, We've done again and again on smaller properties, but that was really the the catalyst for our community group and kind of the, the uh, values. Yeah, the and, and don't forget deleting felonies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds a yeah, lot we, like we, my my experience into or, or my introduction into mobile home parks as well, although at a much smaller scale. Um, I, I did not uh, have a business for a 500 unit park when I started off in this industry. Um, you know, I started with a small park, but much like you, I, I pretty much lived in that park, you know, two thirds of the week getting things done. And it really does teach you the front lines and it really shows you, you know, the real ugly that can happen when you're there all the time and seeing seeing the underbelly of what these things can, can do when, when taking them over from a, a mismanaged park and trying to turn it around. Uh, so I applaud that, uh, that effort on there. And I'm glad it uh, has turned out to have been an excellent investment for you guys. And, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful park. So has a lot of meat left on the bone for you. And you guys uh, have been doing great ever since with that one. Guys, what is deleting felony? Yeah, well, I missed okay. that. What, what, what's, go ahead. 
Did you say deleting felonies? Oh, that's an inside joke. Yeah, we we had this one knucklehead who was just causing problems on the property, and every, I don't think there was a single person there who who knew the guy who liked the guy. And we, it's just one of those situations where you, you, sometimes you just you have to do what you can to get get people away. And this guy came in and had a history of violence, and we denied him. And he was like, "So I'm denied because of my felony," and we're like you know, we're giving you an adverse action letter here because of several things, but you know, in so many words, what he wanted to hear was, Oh, if I just didn't have that one time <laughs> and what it ended up being was what it ended, what ended up being was he got, he got tased by a cop. And so we're like, well, okay, that's not normal. Like what happened? And he was like, well, I was going through a divorce and I'm like, understandable. And then he goes, well, you know, one thing led to another. The cops bust through my door, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not going to, like, not defend myself. <laughs> he's like, so long story short, I'm on the ground getting tased, and they slap a felony on me. And he's like, well, I'll just go to the, like, the county or whatever and just have it, like, deleted from my record or whatever. And they're like, hey, we're waiting in the office for you. <laughs> we'll be waiting. Hey, so, Glenn, uh, before we jump in, how did you meet these guys? Uh, Ian and Ryan and I, we all met, I think, initially at, um, at, at, at a conference in Atlanta that's uh, actually coming up next week where we'll be there again. Uh, or, or maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, it was either at that conference or, 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 one of the, uh, or, or you guys reached out to me maybe by email or social media because they're very, they're very present on social media, very easy to find. And uh, we linked up now, uh, going on a couple of years, if, I, if I'm not correct. If, if I, I think that's Yeah, right. we met, I'm pretty sure, Glenn, you and I met in SECO 2017 face-to-face, but I, I'm sure yeah. we've, we reached out to you many times before that, because we're, yeah, we, if you're in this industry, we're trying to meet you. We want to be as connected as possible. So, that's yeah, I mean, exactly. but some way or another, we found you, or you found us. That's awesome. It's been a couple of years, and, you know, we've. We, we, we've been able to help each other out in, 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 in connections and just in feedback and understanding the business better. We have yet to transact, uh, unfortunately, and we keep trying, but, uh, you know, these guys, they, they like to buy deals a little bit cheaper than deals I'm, I'm able to sell them. And, uh, they've done, you know, tremendously successful things with their, with, with their operations that they have. Um, and, you know, we've turned into, you know, pretty good colleagues and friends and we have, you know, pretty open conversations about deals and, and, and try to give each other advice when necessary. And I see them continuously do that with everybody that they meet on the internet, through social media. And in, in the few years they've been around, they've really made a good name for themselves and have a, have a lot of believers in them. And, and uh, that's why I thought it'd be appropriate to bring them on to this uh, a podcast and, and, you know, they have their own podcast as well, which uh, Jason will, will fill us in here in a second about. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it made sense to have us all come together on here. I thought and, and tell people uh, talk about the subjects we're going to be entering into. Yeah. And you guys also share some of the same beliefs and ethics around uh, mobile home parks, which we're going to get into later. And if you do want to check out their podcast, it's MHP IRL which is mobile home parks in real life. Um, and that's, uh, you can find it on iTunes. And what was the other ones you said? You said switcher. Yeah. On all platforms. So Google play stitcher, 
we even post some of them on YouTube. And we've got, if you don't like listening, we have a ton of video content and, and a blog if you like reading and we're active on LinkedIn. And my big thing is like, I, we're not selling anything. We're just two guys who own and operate parks. I do not like slumlords. Like that was one of my favorite parts of your book, Glenn, was responsible mobile home park ownership. And I was on an interview earlier this morning where the lady asked me, she was like, I went through all your content. You give a lot of stuff away free. Aren't you afraid you're developing up your competition? And I was like, look, here's why we do this. It's because we want to combat slumlordism. So if we can help good people have the tools that they need and we'll give it to them for free to combat potential slumlords, sign me up, even if that means I get outbid. I would rather get outbid on a deal by someone who I know is going to have a heart than someone who's not going to care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, Ian and Ryan's group, they very much practice, you know, being an empathetic capitalist. And they understand that the, the people in their park are important and need to be treated well and and, and have the, the proper things provided for them that a good land, you know, a land lease owner, a park owner might, you know, want to provide, you know, clean living and, and honest uh management and you know up, up to date with maintenance and repairs and not just you know uh, jamming a massive rent increase down their throat and you know hopefully helping these guys turn you know if they're renters into lot renters you know party you know homeowners and uh if they're short-term tenants into long-term tenants and you know make it you know i'm assuming you guys are making your parks feel as there's real value there for your tenants so they don't want to leave and they feel respected and at the same time, make a hell of a return. And that's, you know, the premise of, of my book and, and how I try and, and, and work with brokers and, and you know, uh, or with uh, park owners and uh, with what Jason is, is trying to learn about. And it made good sense here to, you know, it might make good sense here to kind of talk about, you know, one, one aspect specifically to start off with was, you know, the home ownership side with, with having, you know, some empathy with your tenants and, 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 being, you know, able to, you know, understand their situation and come up with a way to help them afford to own the home that they're living in um, is, is is a big, big practice inside of our industry. And, and a lot of people do it one way. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping other guys start doing it, you know, a more reasonable way. And that's the way that, that Ian and Ryan do it. And, and that's the way that we're going to talk about here. And um, it might be, you know, a good uh, time to start talking about how to convert your park-owned homes into tenant-owned homes, where you're going to, you know, achieve considerably more value uh, from that tenant over the life of the time that you own the park. You're going to get a better capitalization rate and, you know, ultimately a higher price. And you're going to have tenants that now actually are vested into your property. They're going to have a, a more solid foundation for their own futures. And with some of the amenities that the park owner can provide, you might actually be able to really enhance their lives. Um, so, but one step at a time. And, you know, it starts with getting renters to be homeowners. Why is that? Why is that? If important? you don't mind, Ian, I'd. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, guys. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to, to start this off by saying um, that is a, something that we do on. A lot of our properties is convert park on home to tenant owned home. But before like we, we really take a deep dive, I have I feel compelled to say this. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. Do not get cute, get licensed. Different states have different laws, and you may need to get a, a dealer's license to sell more than say two in a year. 
Um, it is a pain in the butt, but do it because I've had someone burn me earlier this year on a home. They sold me unlicensed and boy, did I get him. And he is, he got slapped with a fine and a, and a big warning. And the next time he gets, if he doesn't get licensed, he's going to pay something like $20,000 in fines. And then the third time it's straight jail time, no questions asked. So if it sounds scary that selling too many mobile homes unlicensed will put you in prison, do not get cute, get licensed. It's a pain in the butt to get the surety bond and to go to the class and bada be dot, but do it. Anything worth doing is doing is worth doing the right way. So um, please, I, I felt compelled to say that because it's easy and to it's, go, it's oh, really it's really important. We've never talked it's about really that. I didn't even know that was a thing. highlight. Well, yes, and Jason, that was one of the, the the risks about doing these things. I wanted to talk to you about is that one of the, the one of the unfortunate results from uh, the Dodd Frank Act and, and the, the, the Safe Home Act, I think it's called, um, or the Safe Act, was that you know it, it dealt with predatory lending and things, and and it caused this little effect where it made it harder for a, a park owner to sell. A mobile home to the tenant um, and it's really kind of you know made it a real challenge and there's been some creative ways people have sort of worked around it uh, sometimes they do it below the table but what uh, what these guys are saying here is is paramount to, to your you know to, to to not getting in trouble is you know you have to get a license to be able to sell the homes if you want to be able to do it uh, more than just a couple of years uh, and meanwhile, the the government is working to change on that. Uh, um, MHI just put in some uh, some stuff that that would raise the limit to about twenty eight a year or so. So you know, there's it is yet to be seen, but there's things being done to change that. But if you don't want to get in trouble, and it is big trouble once you get in trouble with it, you know, you want to get licensed, and I want to make sure everybody understands that. That said. You know, we will be talking also, you know, about how some other guys are doing it and, you know, have been successful with it. And there's plenty of workarounds in plenty of places. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure you're always complying with whatever the local and federal laws are about, uh, you know, about transitioning these homes. Good to know. Thank you. So what so what I, 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 I need to understand why there's more value in the tenants owning it than the park because it just seems counterintuitive that you would have more value by owning the homes. But I know that these don't appreciate like regular homes. Is that the reason? I mean, there's a multi, well, there's multi, there's multiple, uh, I guess, points here. Uh, one is financing. So your income isn't able to be capitalized from a financing perspective. So even if, so even if it was the perfect business model, uh, say hypothetically, in it's the perfect business model, you make a ton of money. When you're going to finance these, and unless if it's a very particular situation, the bank is only going to be looking at the land and the improvements. So they won't be taking those homes as collateral usually just because homes are personal property and that is considered a depreciating asset. So that's kind of like the biggest driver of it. The second driver of it is, as things get older, it just depends on the age of the park. Uh, some some homes, um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with kind of the star, the star rating of parks, but certain parks have homes that are in the sixties and seventies. Um, they have flat roofs and, and it's just, you know, a consistent... They fall apart every day is what he's saying. These older homes right. are, are going to fall apart literally every day. And it, that's okay. You know, there's money to be made. And you're going to rebuild them and you're going to rebuild them nicely. And you're going to rent them out again for a couple more years. And, you know, if you're... The, the, the main value that's being created through this is, you know, is in the lot rent, as we've talked about so many times. And when you're renting a home, let's say in a park, that has a $300 lot rent, but you're only renting the home for, you know, $500, $600, uh, you know, it's a safe 500 for easy math. You're only earning $2,400 on that home a year. And every time you turn that home over, you know, the tenant moves out and you have to go in and repair the, the floors, the windows, fix the leak, change the the, the wall board change, you know, whatever it is you got to do. And it's, it, it quickly adds up it easily eats up, with, you know, some, if not all of that, you know, that year's income that that home produced. Uh, and so, you know, if you, if you're owning, if you're renting a home for two years and then every two years, you got to sink back in 75% of that money or, you know, 50% of that money, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not the most efficient and productive way to, to spend your time. I don't think. So people convert these homes into tenant-owned homes by giving first the, you, you deliver the home ideally in, in, in as good a shape as you can deliver it, and then the tenant is then responsible for the repairs and the maintenance and things, and they're only going to be paying lot rent. And now you've been able to convert, you know, a higher portion of, uh, it, you know, with with the way that most people are going to do it is that the lot rent will go up, but the payment might stay the same, and so you're able to convert. A higher level of capital for capitalizing, uh, and it, the bank is going to look at your park more so as a lot rent community, assuming these conversions have seasoned. And you're going to get a better rate, you're going uh, interest rate on your loan, you're going to get a better capitalization rate on your pricing, and the that the, the small buckets of money you've actually earned from owning those homes, you know, is going to be minuscule as compared to what the exit. Uh, or refinance would look like on on that income, um, and so that's that's the primary. You know, those are the two primary reasons that people want to convert homes. But plus, you have a much longer tenant because a, a renter is only going to stick around two, maybe three years. Yeah, that's for what the I was most part ask. as an average. Yeah, so it secures and, and a lot all, stick it sec- around. It secures the lot rent technically, typically for a longer amount of time. Probably by a lot, Correct. right? And also, too, you get a different mentality of a you get a different mentality of person coming in. So not all a lot of renters don't, you know, certain certain renters will never be owners. Just they don't make that shift. And so, owners who own they they want to build decks on their place. They keep it up. They build they plant flowers in front of their front yard. They take an investment in the community as well. There's certain there's certain people as well that will look out for the community and like site issues i was in a park yesterday where one of the guy he sits on his front porch and if people from outside the community try to throw trash in the trash bin he calls the manager and lets them know because he doesn't want people to abuse a trash can renters don't necessarily have that same mentality and mindset so so yeah. when we talk about like yeah, I mean, there's, yeah go ahead Dylan. i was gonna say that you know there's a lot of intent you know less tangible uh, effects from from the conversion that are going to you know have you know a benefit to the to the owner and the park and the community residents, um, but you, you, you basically are, are trying to shift 
from a renter, you know, a situation to a lot renter situation because those lot renters are very likely going to stick around for the rest of their lives. It is highly probable to think you're going to get the majority of time spent there uh, at their park, especially if they're already older in age and now they're permanent lot runners. Most people don't like to move. And once once they have a good community and good people in the community, they, they tend not to leave. It's a very sticky audience, um, which is, is why lot rent uh, is, is, you know, the, the best part about park ownership. It's not it's not the, the rent income from the homes. It's the lot rent that really makes uh, park management and park operations worth it because it's very sticky. So, it, will last, well, it, another, it, it will give you consistent cash flows. Another big thing, Glenn, that you talk about in the, under the risk exposure section of your book is that a lot of these mom and pops that own these communities do a very poor job vetting their tenants. And when you very own poor. your home, it is really hard to get somebody out, especially if they're paying. So the advantage of buying a community that's all park-owned homes is when you inevitably run into someone who slipped through the cracks or if the mom and pop you know, just got taken advantage of and you have poorly vetted tenants, it is a lot easier to get them out and then handpick those who are good fits for you and what type of community you are building because this is a community building business because a community will self-police and yeah, exactly. the advantage of exactly. the advantage of have, owning the home is you don't have to worry about brokering a sale or buying the home back from someone or all of the issues or maybe possibly losing one or from the community or worse they abandon it and it takes you six months to a year to get a title if you can even get a title. So the advantage and before of, you can move it off sometimes, you know, if it's, if it's yeah, a total dump, exactly. they left it, they left it disgusting. You can't even, you can't do anything with it. You got to have that ice or stay there for a long time. I mean, so there's definitely some, you know, some real disadvantages with, with, with that, but that's why the vetting the tenants is so critically important. And, and to your point, starting off with an all park owned home community, uh, you know, assuming you're, you're, you're mm, having some concerns about the tenant base is going to provide you an opportunity to really, uh, you know, run new applications and sex offenders reports and violent criminal reports against, you know, against your tenant base, have an easier time evic evicting them on a schedule so you can start replacing the, the tenant with somebody new and ideally somebody who's well vetted that you would want to live in your park for the next, you know, 20 years. And uh, it gives you an opportunity. I mean, I, I had to do that at my park. It, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. And, you know, it's, it, it took me a couple of years to figure it out. But once I understood what to do to convert my park, granted, it was only, you know, 30-something units. It only took, you know, 9 to 12 months to fully convert. Um, I had some, had some you know, problems along the way and, and learned along the way, but I didn't have anybody teaching me. So it was... Uh, but it wasn't the hardest thing to do. And it was definitely when I was finally able to get my park back in line and make my life easier with, with the tenants that I had. I'd like to pose a question. So is it sexier to buy a park that is tenant owned homes or better to convert a, a park owned home park yourself? Is there a financial benefit? I think that's, to I'm either? Curious. I think that's an I'm excellent question. Here, Ryan. Yeah. Sure. Uh, thank you. I, I think that's an excellent question to ask. I would definitely say it is a lot 
less complicated to buy a tenant-owned home already community. It should, in theory, be less work. It should, in theory, be a lot easier to do the accounting if you are like us and do you do your accounting in-house. And it's still going to be work. Don't get me wrong. You still need to go to your property. You still need to make sure you have a finger on the pulse of what's going on in your local community as well. But if you are like Ian and I, and you absolutely love speaking your broken Spanish to this local <laughs> Hispanics, and you love you know, sleeping on the properties when necessary, I love all park-on-home opportunities because it is my way to be able to go in and build a community. Slowly over time, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, and there's a lot of headaches. So from... I think the answer to your question is, what is your end game? What do you want out of mobile home parks? And if it's, I want to park some investment dollars in a a less of a headache type property, and I'm willing to pay up for that, then go for a stable property. If you're like Ian and I, and you started with nothing, no money, no experience, no network, you have to find ways to monetize this business. And one big thing that most people don't want to do is most people don't want to go to their properties. Most people don't want to, you know, hear little Miss Janice coming up to the front door complaining that at during the fireworks were too loud at 4th of July. People don't want to do that. And people don't want to sell. Selling's hard. People like Glenn, Ian, and I, we love selling. But, you know, we, you know Ian and I get excited at heavy lifts especially if there's a a good, healthy chunk of meat on the bone, because we can make a good profit, our investors can make a good profit, and most importantly, for the city and for that community, we are going to get the bad people out, bring the good people in, and bring real value to not only that property, but the community. And we're proud to uh, have properties appreciate and value because we were there. You know, that's how I want to be remembered when I pass away one day, is I want I want to leave the world a better place because I was here, and that's exactly the mentality I, I look at going into it. So to answer your question, it just depends on what you want out of mobile home parks. Do you want a, a, a little bit more passive an investment, or do you want to just go gung-ho and roll up your sleeves and, and go to your properties like Ian and I? Yeah, I mean... And, and now, it, with, with it, all, all absolutely fundamentally right-on target points, um, and from, from there, I would, you know, add sort of the other side to, to, to the equation because me at, you know, I'm 44, right? So, you know, I'm still young enough to do things, but man, I don't like heavy lifts anymore. And, you know, the idea of me spending an eternity turning something around right now, uh, would be too distracting for me. But the idea of buying a nice park at a six or 7% cap rate, where I'm going to see above average, you know, uh, growth with either, you know, infill that's not too hard to do or with uh, um, just, you know, three to 5% increases and, you know, things like that. I'm going to feel that that to me at this point in my stage in life is, is a better investment and in, in use of my time when I balance my, you know, time value headache model. But there's plenty of guys that, that I do business with, a lot like Ian and Ryan, where a heavy lift is like, hey, I'm young. I can do this. I, I got the time, energy, and money, and, and this is what I enjoy. I'm passionate about it. And they go in and make a lot of money on these turnarounds. Um, the, 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 the other side of that is, you know, when you do have park-owned homes, if you're buying an all-park-owned home park in your first, you know, and you can theoretically turn that park in, you know, in a couple of years, you know, into a lot rent park, 
there's a lot of extra money to be made uh, doing that because these park-owned homes are, are being sold on a GRM or on a shell value, GRM being a gross rent multiplier, that, that $200 a month above lot rent thing we were talking about earlier. And you're buying a home for essentially $10,000 or less most of the time. And yeah, you're going to have to put some money into it, but you know, you're going to sell it and it's going to make its money back tenfold for you over, you know, over the time or at least fivefold most of the time. Um, so, you know, there's real benefit to buying an all park owned home park. If you're, if you have the tolerance for it, or there's a real benefit in going for fully stabilized without any, any uh, home renters and just lot renters. Uh, there's benefits to both. So it, it, that's going to be a personal decision. And I would, you know, advise anybody who's listening to really balance what they, you know, balance their time value headache model, because it is not at all easy to do some of the heavy lifts in these parks and, and the tenant transition, you know, the home transition is one thing, but transitioning the, the, the tenant base, that's, that's a little bit harder. And that it, that can wear you down and hurt your your cash flow, and and you got to be mindful about all the the risks that are associated with whatever direction you decide to go on these things. And if you're looking for no risk, uh, and and just easy peasy, definitely lean more towards the lot rent only and fully stabilized type of stuff. But you are going to get a smaller return. Um, but for me, in my stage in life, that's what I would be uh, looking for. And and Jason, that's kind of what I advise you to be looking at. Um, yeah, you know, but, I, that's uh, me all day. I, I don't see myself being able to handle a heavy lift. I don't see myself being able to, you know, stay on the park and be bugged by people. I think that would just stress me out. I can understand like the excitement of it. Um, I just don't think, you know, with a family and everything, that would be a good fit. But I did want to ask, um, Ryan and Ian something. I, I, have you guys looked into RV parks at all? Cause that has been like really interesting to me. Yeah, we definitely have put in some thought to RV parks. It is a different business model, and you just have to be very careful with going into it uh, for multiple reasons. One, they I hear financing is a little bit even more difficult on RVs than they are on mobile home parks. Uh, and the reason why is you have a transient tenant base, and that's just because they can you know, with certain RV parks, they can literally just turn on their engine and just drive off a lot, and you really have not much recourse because, I mean, they could go anywhere. There is much more. There's much more. You know, challenges with it. Absolutely. You know, we're 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 selling a, a mobile home park right now in New Mexico, a brand new one, um, for about eight eight million bucks, seven point nine million, something like that, and. You know, the, the, the way you buy these parks with RV parks, Jason, is a lot different than how you would buy a mobile home okay. park. There's a lot of, you know, overlap. There's a lot of overlap, but it's more of a business operation. And the, the pricing is usually based, you know, more on the uh, historic P&Ls. And, and, you know, for most of the quality parks, that's easy for them. For the mom and pop parks, that, that makes it real hard to understand the income, understand the high and low points of, you know, of, of occupancy there. And it's definitely a different animal, much harder, uh, much harder. Say to find if, you're looking, if you're looking for a relatively stable asset, I think RVs is going more towards the realm of park owned homes than it is yeah. oh, to gotcha. stability. So if you're looking for stability, I would stick more towards lot rent. 
Great. Yeah. That, th- thank you for that yep. advice. That, that's critical. So I, I we we're running out of time. So I do want to touch on something that I think is a big connective tissue between uh, Ryan, Ian, and um, Glenn, and that is the ethics behind um, the mobile home park business and not being a slumlord, slumlord, which we talked about a little bit earlier. But uh, there was something interesting that I believe it was Ryan or Ian, I can't remember who said, but they said, I don't ever want to see a report like I saw on John Oliver again. And I'd love to close out this episode talking a little bit about what's going on wrong with the business and how can groups like you and Glenn, you know, turn it around and prevent it from being a slumlord ran business and kind of giving the whole business a bad name. Yeah. I'm really glad you're asking this question. And let me tell you why, because I think that no matter what you're going, you're going to have bad eggs, but it, you, you always have to be a leader if you believe in something and you always have to, not say do as I say, you have to say do as I do. And so from my perspective, the issue that's going on right now is because you have a captive audience, it's really easy to crank rents way up and it's really easy to just not invest in your property because you have a captive audience that don't have many for opportunities. And, and I agree with Glenn in his book when he says regulations are probably unfortunately coming because they are. So what you know like i said what i want to see and what i want to help do in this industry is show people that you can make a profit you can be fulfilled doing what you're doing and you can make your properties better off and everybody wins but the problem is right now there's a lot of hype in this industry and it's being branded as a coupon clipping highly lucrative mom and pop filled industry that's easy to get into and you can just whack it. And the problem is people are going out and raising money, really, truly not understanding the risks. So again, I'll reiterate what I said about Glenn's book. He has an entire section about risk that I do my best to put on my podcast and Ian and I, on our blog and on our LinkedIn post, we want to help people understand the risks. Because if you listen to just a couple of of outlets and sources of information and about this industry, you, it is easy to get drunk on the hype, and then it is easy to get investors drunk on the hype. And then when you can't find the outstanding returns, or you, you can find the outstanding returns, but they're heavy value add, like Mr. New or Waldo from the book, you end up getting smashed. It's way more work Man. than it is. You, you aren't licensed. You hire people that aren't licensed, and you get ruined. And then And it's not only your money at risk. So if Glenn, Ian, and I can do anything for this business, it's we can help inject another perspective, one of reality, one of let's encourage people to get in, let's help people get into this, uh, this, this space, but based on a foundation of truth and not hype. And that's why I called my, my podcast Mobile Home Park in real life, because it is, I, am, I do not have a sexy mobile home park hyping up the industry. I am not selling anything. I am not actively seeking investors for a fund. I am just putting this content out there so the right people can find it and get in for the right reasons based on truth and not hype. Absolutely. It's because, you know, as we've talked about before, Jason, it's, 
it, there's a lot of people that are promoting this industry for better or worse uh, that, that are maybe making it sound a little too easy and and, and it's causing people that are getting involved to you know push harder on on just income measures than they are on improvements and the real value in these parks when you want sustainable value in your park it's the improvements that you're going to put into your park that's going to make you not get on John Oliver uh, because you're not going to be doing things that have uh, too aggressive um, uh, too aggressive income uh, raises without having any significant improvements to the tenants' lives, to the parks facilities, and to the community programs that are already you know ha happening around. So if you can invest more heavily into that, um, I think. The industry overall will be better. I'm hoping my book teaches people that. I'm hoping I keep meeting more and more people like Ryan and Ian who are promoting this idea. And, you know, through through the various outlets that they have, they have a very large audience. And I'm hoping that their audience is going to learn the, you know, what I don't know what's the right way or the wrong way. I just know what, what feels better to me and what feels kind of slimy to me. And I'm hoping that, that that's translating through the people I'm working with and the people they're working with. Because we have to turn the tide here, and it's uh, you know as we're wrapping up, I, I'm realizing we didn't talk nearly enough about all the different ways to convert these homes. But do remember that if you are going to convert these homes, get a license, and you know stay within the the legal limits of what you're allowed to do with this stuff. And if you need any guidance on that subject, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Ian or Ryan, and you know we've got plenty of resources and, and funny stories to tell you about you know, how people did it correctly and how people did it not so correctly. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had a real great time with you guys on here today. I, I always wish these things can go longer, but we're all on time constraints. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with Ryan or Ian, you can find them. They're the Archimedes group and their URL is Archimedes, dot com. And uh, Ryan and Ian, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you? LinkedIn, for sure. Ian and I are huge on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy, A-R-U-S. And as we all just saw before we started recording this, apparently our website does not show up first on Google. When you type in my name, find either Ian or myself on LinkedIn. We're very present. We want to connect with you. And if you Also, wanted... as well, we have a closed Facebook group um, called M Mobile Home Park Mastermind. And... We are increasing our engagement there, and you're more than welcome to join that group and ask questions about mobile home parks. And um, I didn't know about free. that one. Say, say that one again. Uh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, it's Mobile Home Park Mastermind. It, we, we created it several months ago. I haven't spent much time on it, but in the past month or so, we started to increase just our engagement there as we found Facebook groups are really powerful and just useful for people who are like-minded and want to connect um, and people are posting about their issues in parks and just things that they're finding and people are helping each other. So it's been, it's been a really good resource that uh, we're going to try to continue to push to grow. That's super cool guys. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. If you want to reach Glenn, you can find him at the MHP You can email him at G Esterson at the MHP and you can call Glenn directly on his mobile phone at 423-483-0492. Ryan, Ian, Glenn, thank you all so much. And thank you to the audience for listening. And we'll see you next time.